0: Good evening. Welcome to uh, St. James. Welcome to the midweek uh, midweek Lent service. Thanks for coming out on a, a rainy night. And welcome to uh, all the people who are watching um, on the live stream. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, tonight uh, we're talking about gluttony. And um, next Wednesday I think is the last midweek uh, Lent service. And then the week after that is Holy Week. So we won't meet on Wednesday. We will meet Thursday for Monday, Thursday, and Friday for Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday morning, of course. And then uh, also remember when we're done tonight to head downstairs, and uh, we can hang out together, and uh, there's some baked goods down there that have been brought for us. So uh, when, we're, when, when it's done, just head on down there. Okay, stand with me, and let's uh, begin. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus Christ is the light of the world the light no darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening, and the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness and illumine your church. Joyous light of glory of the immortal Father, heavenly, holy, blessed Jesus Christ. We have come to the setting of the sun, and we look to the evening light. We sing to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are worthy of being praised with pure voices forever. O Son of God, O giver of life, the universe proclaims your glory. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, for you are merciful and you love your whole creation and we, your creatures, Glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The psalm is the first 10 verses of Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please stay standing for this first hymn. Epistle reading is from Philippians 3, 7-21, and Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. He's talking about the gain of his accomplishments and his status within Judaism. Whatever gain I had, he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, uh, gluttony. Uh, This is a lot of overlap with with, uh, gluttony and greed, of course. We talked about greed, uh, you know, this desire to consume things in order to get pleasure or fulfillment or satisfaction or comfort or hope. And I, I talk mainly about money there because usually when the, the, the old timers talked about the seven deadly sins with greed, they meant money, greed for money. Although gluttony is very, very similar to that. Like I said, it's greed for food, right? I also want to make a, a caveat here, real quick. This is not, it might be tempting for this to sound, to, to think it sounds like this. As I get into this here, this is not like advice on diet or weight loss or how to be healthy, although there's definitely overlap there. Uh, It's not a sin to be overweight in the Bible. The, 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 The sin isn't obesity. The sin is gluttony. I know people who are overweight but who don't overeat. They just, for whatever reason, maybe they're not getting enough exercise, although, again, this isn't a diet thing. I'm not here to tell you how to be healthy, although I hope that we all are. I've also known people who are skinny, but are gluttons, who have very high metabolisms, and use that high metabolism to make excuses for the sin of gluttony. What we're talking about is, and we'll get into this, is the sin of gluttony. And a really great example of this is Philippians 3.19, which I just read a second ago. It's right there in the bulletin. that The enemies of Christ, the enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. Their god is their belly. They glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Their god is their belly. There's a lot of um, uh, you know commentaries that are out there. I was studying uh, this week, and there's a certain type of commentator who reads this and is like, "Okay, their god is their belly. What Judaizing heresy does this refer to? Is this does this have something to do with the food laws, like you know the kosher laws, and somehow?" The Judaizers, it's clear in Philippians that Paul's doing battle with the Judaizers, those Christians who say you have to follow the Jewish laws in order to be a good Christian. So, what aspect of this is that? And when I, so other commentators will say this is clearly not about any sort of like doctrinal heresy. Uh, anybody who's ever struggled with gluttony can see right away what this is talking about. Our God, for those of us who struggle with gluttony, and everybody in here who's heard me preach more than two or three sermons knows that I struggle with gluttony. My God can sometimes be my stomach it controls me it promises me that if i sacrifice to it if i feed it if i feed the god it will make me happy this is a cl- clearly a reference to the antichrist lifestyle of consuming for oneself that manifests itself in a lot of different ways greed for money greed for power greed for sex tonight let's talk about greed for food the best definition well, one of the best examples of this so uh, let me give you, let me start off by just giving you kind of a Christian definition of gluttony. Because When your God is your belly, that's a great definition. But just to expand on that a little bit, the false belief that food or drink can satisfy you in ways that only God can. Gluttony is the false belief that food or drink can satisfy you in ways that only God can. One of the, there's, lots of, there's lots of examples of the sin of gluttony. In the Bible. But one of my favorite, not because it's a great story, but because it's a great example of this, is the story of Eli and his sons. Eli was a priest uh, at the tabernacle of God in Shiloh. A lot of you who are familiar with the Old Testament will know him from the story of um, uh, the anointing of Samuel. Uh, he and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, oversee the tabernacle. Uh, God is not pleased with them, though, because they're gluttons, amongst other things. Now, the sons of Eli, First uh, Samuel 2 says, I'm, I'm going to read a big chunk of this to us and kind of talk about it as we go along. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh. to all the Israelites who came there. This is part of what God in the Old Testament and Leviticus said to do. The priest would eat the food that was brought by the people who were offering the food. Sometimes if it was a fellowship offering, the priest and the offers would eat a big meal together. But the priest subsisted on these offerings. And God said, that's that's totally fine. There's certain parts of the animal that the priest can have and they can eat as their portion for serving the Lord here. However, Eli's sons were ratcheting up a notch. They weren't just happy with the meat that God said they could have. They wanted actually the tasty stuff that God told them to burn. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man, if the worshiper said to him, well, let them burn the fat first, because that's what Leviticus says to do, and then take as much as you wish, the servant of Hophni and Phinehas would say, no, you must give it now and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Well, this isn't the only thing they were doing. They were also seducing the women who had come to worship right there in the tabernacle. And so God decides he's going to judge them. He's going to cast Hophni and Phinehas out and not let them have any more portion in his service and in the tabernacle. So a man of God comes to Eli and says to him, I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. I, 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 to you and your sons, I said, here's the offerings. You can have them to eat. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Okay, now let me stop there and talk about that sentence real quick. You honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts. There's something that doesn't come out in English that can only come out in Hebrew. And if you have a good study Bible, it'll point it out to you. And that's this, that in Hebrew, the word for fat and the word for honor are the exact same words, kavod. You can, you can say, I'm really fat, and you would use the word kavod. You could say, give, give God honor and glory, and you would use the word kavod. Kavod works for honor and glory both. And so now there's a a play on words that's going to happen throughout the rest of this story here. And it basically revolves around this. You've honored your sons. In other words, one way you could read that is you've fattened your sons. It's the same word for fatten. You've fattened your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts. You, through your gluttony, are honoring yourselves more than me. You're fattening yourselves and you're not fattening me. You're not giving me weight, you're taking the weight for yourselves. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who fatten me, I will fatten. You can't use food to fatten yourself. You have to trust in me to fatten you. You honor me and I will honor you. You give me glory and I will give you glory. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. I'm gonna skip a few verses here down to verse 36 if you're reading along. And everyone who's left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Your gluttony is gonna end up starving you to death. You're gonna fatten yourself instead of fattening me. At some point, you're gonna come and you're gonna beg for a morsel of bread. That's what gluttony always does. It promises to make us happy. It promises to make us satisfied and fulfilled. But what it does is it takes glory and honor away from God and gives it to food and ends up destroying us in the end. Gluttony, like all the other sins, does. But but, but honestly, you you could copy and paste all the sins that we do and basically say the same thing. You worship money it will make you poor in the end. You worship sex, it will make you lonely in the end. You worship food, it will make you hungry and starving in the end. So God appears to Samuel and says, I want you to go to Eli and tell, tell him that I'm gonna get rid of his family. The very next chapter in chapter four, Israel goes out to fight against the Philistines with the Ark of the Covenant. And in the middle of the battle, the Ark of the Covenant is taken and stolen by the Philistines. And Hophni and Phineas, Eli's wicked sons who had gone out with the, with the army to fight are killed in battle. Eli, he's very old at this time, he's back in Shiloh and he's waiting for news and a messenger comes after the battle and brings news and says, Israel's fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as this messenger mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. The man was old and kavod. He gave himself honor. He gave himself glory. He insisted on feasting on the Lord's things to satisfy himself. And in the end, that fat killed him. It's very, very clear in the in Hebrew at least that the writer of the story is trying to make a point: gluttony will kill you. He had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, and about to give birth, when the battle's going on. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, do not be afraid for you've born a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod or Kavod," saying the glory has departed from Israel. Ichavod means no glory. The glory is gone. The fat is gone. <laughs> Eli dies, the fat man dies. Her sons, who have fattened themselves on the, offering of the Lord, on the offering of the Lord, have died. And her final response is to name, the final scene in the story is to name this son, the glory's gone. We feasted on the glory for ourselves. We thought that food would give it to us. And it killed my family. And she actually imprints upon the history of her family for generations to come. This name, the glory is gone, the fat is gone. The honor is gone. The weight is gone. This is what gluttony does to us. It kills us in the end like all the other sins. uh, The sin of gluttony too is one of those sins like the sin of greed that's hard for us to notice because in America, we've got tons of food. Anybody who's from any other other country will tell you that Americans tend to be gluttonous. We tend to like use food to satisfy ourselves. A couple of diagnostic questions just to examine your own heart to see if this is something that you struggle with. I don't want to end with these diagnostic questions. The gospel gives us hope. But just in case you're thinking like, well, I'm in decent shape. This doesn't apply to me. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you try hard to stay away from certain types of food or food in general, only to cave in and splurge when you can't hold off the cravings anymore? It's another, it's a kind of a, a what's it? it's totally my experience, just about every evening around 10 o'clock at night. And what, what I'm saying is is like, Do you tell yourself, I don't want to worship food, and then I just can't resist? Do you continue eating even when you know you're not hungry? Are there moments when you can tell you're not physically hungry, but you feel psychologically hungry? You feel the desire to eat food even though your stomach is not really hungry? Do you get drunk when you drink alcohol? Classically, uh, drunkenness falls underneath the category of gluttony. Are you using alcohol as... um, as a substitute for God, are you using alcohol to give yourself what only God can give you? The Bible is very, very clear that, well, alcohol, like food, is a wonderful gift of God. Uh, drunkenness is forbidden, just like gluttony is forbidden. Do you use food, but final summary question, do you use food as a way to give yourself hope and comfort? I do this all the time. If I have, I've told, told you guys this before, if I have a tough meeting or if I'm having a rough day, I will tell myself I'm gonna eat this food when I get home tonight or I'm gonna to go to this restaurant and use that to get me through my tough day. What I'm doing is I'm using food. I'm, I'm giving kavod to food. I'm giving weight to food. I'm giving honor and glory to something that only God can do for me. Um, maybe a, a more Lutheran way to circle around to this question of gluttony is this. Do you fear losing food more than you fear losing God? Do you trust in food more than you trust in God? When I'm going through that tough meeting, Do I rely on God for strength and hope and comfort or do I think about food giving me that strength and hope and comfort? Do I love food more than God? Does my heart thrill to food more than it thrills to God? Do I get more pleasure out of food than I get out of God? These are all signs of the sin of gluttony and we must repent of that. What's the solution? Like all the other sins we've been talking about, like every sin in the entire world, do not try to tamp it down. You guys know, those of you who struggle with the sin of gluttony or with the sin of drunkenness, the sin of greed for money, fill in the blank, everything else we've talked about, by telling yourself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to overeat. It's not going to help you. You are going to overeat. You are going to get drunk. We have no self-control. As long as food or alcohol functions as a God for us, we will continue to worship it. And the only way to get rid of that is to find another God to worship. And there is hope in the gospel. There's three things here that I want to talk about. Um, The gospel, first of all, the gospel makes Jesus our highest value. Verses 7 and 8 of the epistle reading. Look at that with me. Whatever gain I had. Now, Paul's talking about something different. I'm going to apply it to food here just sort of uh, obliquely. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything in my life, Paul says, is worthless to me in light of the fact that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is everything. He is my highest value. Look, so Jesus becomes a human. He dies on the cross and he rises from the dead. One of the reasons why he does this, well, there's one big reason, which is to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil and to initiate his new creation. One of the sub-reasons underneath of that is that so you and I no longer have to be a slave to food and alcohol because we have something else that gives us more pleasure. So what does food and alcohol do for us? We'll come to that in point number two. But right now, what the gospel is telling you is, is that you have a higher value. There's a higher good. There's something that can give you better hope and comfort and meaning and satisfaction and pleasure, yes, indeed, pleasure in life, than food and alcohol, and that is Jesus Christ. He has become our highest value because, look at verse 12 now, because he has made us his highest value. Now that, Not that I've already obtained this or i am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't need food like I think I need food because Jesus has made me his own and now I belong to him. I have everything that I need for hope and comfort and salvation. Being satisfied, ultimately being satisfied with God will take the edge off the need to be satisfied by other things. And this isn't some sort of spiritual thing. When I say spiritual, I mean in the kind of the contemporary modern, like internal, like I still kind of do what I want. I can go get drunk if I want. I can go overeat if I want. And then, but spiritually, I find satisfaction in Jesus. No, that's that's just that's hypocrisy. It's really, really super practical. And I'll just, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that there's a one-to-one correspondence, but I can tell you, I've told some of you this before, that when I am when I am regularly in God's word and in prayer, I will find that my that I am way less tempted to overeat or lose my temper or worry about money or things like that. When I'm in a place where I can see the gospel clearly and know that my Savior loves me and has called me by his name and has died for me and rose from the dead for me, that takes the edge off of a lot of cravings. A lot of places where I would go to say, you know, I really need this to make me happy. If I know that only he can make me happy. I'll give you another example. If you look up the literature, and trust me, I have. If you look up the literature on how to grapple with food addiction, one of the things it's going to say to you is, Food addiction a lot of times revolves around boredom, just kind of an empty spot in your life, and so you drink, and so you overeat. So you sit down at dinner, and there's really nothing in your mind to look forward to after dinner, you know? Just kind of like there's nothing going on. And really, the only excitement that you can see in front of you is the food and the beverage sitting there in front of you. So one of the things that that therapists who deal with food addiction will tell you is you need to foster these things to, like, stimulate your mind, you know? Find a good movie to watch or a good novel to read or some board games to play with your family and your friends or uh, eat dinner early enough that you can do some exercise afterwards to give yourself something to look forward to on the other side of the meal that will take the edge off this notion that all I have tonight is this food. Now, I think this is great advice, except for the danger is, is that board games and watching movies and working out can themselves become idols that are going to need to be replaced again. The best thing to do is, do all those things, that's totally fine. But the best thing to do is to say, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. That's going to be my excitement for the night. And if you're like, oh, that's so lame. I can't believe you just said that. You're actually living in the problem. If like spending time with Jesus doesn't turn you on, and frankly, it doesn't turn all of us on all the time, or I can even say it doesn't even frankly turn me on most of the time. But if my Jesus isn't my all, then something else is going to be. And for me, it typically tends to be food. So believe the gospel that Jesus is our highest value because he's made us his highest value. Second thing is the gospel will allow us to enjoy food as a way of enjoying God. If eating food for you or drinking alcohol becomes a source of guilt, becomes a source of contention, becomes a source of either internal stress or relational stress, replace it, with this gospel-centered eating food and drinking alcohol in a way that you could do it to God's honor and glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And if the food and the alcohol aren't your highest good, you'll be able to eat and drink knowing, I don't need to serve this. This isn't my slave owner. I belong to Jesus. And so I can enjoy this as an act of worship even. I can eat this food as an act of enjoying God. I can drink this alcohol as an act of enjoying God. But only the gospel will get you there. Only the gospel will get you there. Last thing and then we'll be done in just a second. The gospel allows us to be content with hunger as long as we have Jesus. Paul says just a chapter over in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, he's talking about being being in prison and he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I know the secret of being hungry and being content. I don't know the secret. I wish that I was good at this. I don't know. If I'm hungry, I'm incredibly, you know, what's the word hangry? I'm incredibly, you know, antsy and irritable and irritating to the people around me, I'm sure. But Paul says, I've learned the secret and it's this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. By knowing Jesus, I can be hungry because I can eat to God's glory. I can be hungry to God's glory. Satan attacks Jesus in the, uh, the garden, and, uh, in the garden, in the desert and says, you know, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, with all honesty, man doesn't need a bread. Man doesn't have to live by bread alone. Because he has, if man has a relationship with God, the bread becomes an optional thing. Not that you don't need to eat to live, but in terms of your happiness, in terms of your contentment, in terms of your hope, in terms of like what you're worshiping, we actually don't need bread. The gospel makes us content with Jesus alone. How do you tap into this gospel secret? Be in God's word is the main thing. Go where Jesus is at. Go where you can see the glory and power of Jesus. Go where you can learn how much Jesus loves you. Go where your spirit can be fostered in a deep love for Jesus that would make all other loves loves subsidiary loves and not slavish loves, loves of service. Just close one last line, and we'll close, I'll just close. You know, the secret in the Bible is, and we read this in the Psalm reading in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, God offers Jesus as food, he offers himself as food. Taste it and see how good it is to worship me. I'm here for you to eat. I'm here for you to experience. I'm here to give you comfort and hope. I'm here to give you pleasure. I'm here to fill your heart. I'm here to fill your mind. I'm also here to fill your stomach, Jesus says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Stand with me and let's sing the Magnificat. For all pastors in Christ, for all servants of the church, and for all the people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For President Biden, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Marcus, for all public servants, for the government and those who protect us, that they may be upheld and strengthened in every good deed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who work to bring peace, justice, health, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for those who bring offerings, those who do good works in this congregation, those who toil, those who sing, and all the people here present who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for favorable weather, for an abundance of the fruits of the earth and for peaceful times. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger and need. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the faithful who've gone before us and are with Christ, let us give thanks to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Rejoicing in the fellowship of all the saints, let us commend ourselves to one another and our whole life to Christ our Lord. To you, O Lord. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God, the Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen.